Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Willie Donick. We will talk Commodore baseball and basketball. Our news is presented by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you have been injured in an accident. Please call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, a double boost of good news for Vanderbilt basketball. The Commodores get Scotty Pippen back, and with him, Vanderbilt goes into Cincinnati on Thursday night in a game that wasn't scheduled until later this week and pulls out a victory. The final from Cincinnati, Vanderbilt 78, Cincinnati 64. Scotty Pippen Jr. with a career-high 36 points, only missed four shots. Really one of the more amazing performances in recent Commodore history. We will touch on that briefly today in the podcast. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Willie Donick joins me. You probably know him uh, as the Predators play-by-play guy. You certainly know him as the former Vanderbilt basketball and baseball player. Willie, thanks for joining us today. Chris, great to be with you again. We were just talking about Scottie Pippen Jr.'s performance last night. Both of us had other engagements and couldn't see it, but my goodness, what a performance. He scores 36 points and misses four shots if you include free throws. Pretty efficient, and that's uh, it's just the next step in what has been a pretty interesting climb. The guy keeps getting better. In the, when, when Dylan DeSue went down, you just thought perhaps – you know they they may not win another game, but they've shown a lot of a lot of spunk, a lot of togetherness, and uh, that's a that's a really nice win. So it'd be nice to get a couple more uh, before the year is over and continue building a little bit of momentum as they go forward here. 
You know, one of the other things last night, Jordan Wright had a double-double, which I think is the first of his career. I don't think that anybody thinks Jordan Wright's going to be a big star. But one thing that I have said that they really need are supporting players. And that's a kid who I think seems to be taking a step up towards being that kind of guy, maybe. I agree. He's a very important player for them. And I think that might be the one silver lining of not having to sue is, you know, he knows he's going to be a featured player. Now he knows he's got to create some shots. He's got to generate some offense and he's doing that. And and I, I think he continues to get better. I see a lot of improvement from him from year one to year two. And that's, I think the best thing you can say about the young players that have started under Jerry Stackhouse, they've all improved a lot. And that's why I think if they can continue to do that, then I think next year looks a lot better if they have everybody back that that should be coming back. Let's switch to baseball a minute before we get into the mailbag. And we've got a short window of time today. Uh, What are your thoughts on what you've seen since we talked last Friday? Well, I think the the question that I think is going to remain unanswered for a little while is, you know, when when this – Vanderbilt baseball lineup faces top pitchers from the opposing teams. Can they get enough offense? And that's, you know, we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, the SEC games and certain teams during the week that maybe run out their best pitchers. I I thought, you know, what you saw is Georgia State, a team that's a pretty good program for their level, when they had their top pitchers in there, they could pitch to to Vanderbilt. That's how they snuck in there and got the first game in the rain and, and you know, were right there in the second game. And as they sort of ran out of pitchers, then Vanderbilt took full advantage of the rest of their staff. But, you know, I think it's going to improve as the year goes on. There's only one way that you that you develop hitters, and that's that they've got to face those good pitchers time in and time out, and hopefully the results will be better uh, as the season goes along. You know, one thing that's stuck out, obviously Vanderbilt's got as many or more hard throwers than anybody, but almost any team you see these days has got a couple guys who can get it into the 90s. And it just seems like there's been such an advancement in terms of arm strength just in the last five or ten years. And I'm sure that has to do with driveline and other things that have trickled down from the big league level. But it just is astonishing to me how many times you see a, a team like a Georgia State that 10 or 15 years ago might have one or two guys that top out at 90, 91. Now you got a bunch of guys that are throwing 93, 94, that kind of thing. It just is a thing that, as I watch college baseball across the country, you're seeing a lot more of that, it seems. Yeah, I, I think it's very evident that in the last five to ten years that it's become more of a fact that increasing velocity can be taught. Whereas I think if you go back 15 or 20, 30 years and, and even beyond that, I just think the, the general thought, at least in my mind, was for the most part, yeah, the, the velocity part was God-given. You could teach somebody how to pitch. You could probably teach them some how to use their legs and stuff like that to help a little bit. But the, the, the big increase in velocity was really hard to teach. Now I think – like like you said, with driveline and things like that, the technology, technology that's there, the training programs that are there, uh, I think you can 
if you put in the work, you can definitely increase the velocity. Now, you know, that's only part of pitching, right? That's always been the case, right? Even though the guys are throwing harder, it's still what separates good pitching from great pitching is velocity with location and command, changing speeds, things like that. That's actually a good segue into where I wanted to go next. The little subplot with Vanderbilt baseball this year has been rocker versus lighter. And coming into the season, rocker was you know, close to a unanimous number one all overall guy. You saw some people put lighter in the top five. After a couple of appearances, the trend is that's reversing and that lighter is the one and, and rocker is maybe further down, three, four, five. I, I think it's way too early to buy into that definitively. But the issue has been that Rocker does not have the repertoire pitches that Leiter does. Now, I think what's going to happen is Kuma Rocker, you see when he gets ticked off, look at the Duke Super Regional game. It seems like when you get that kid a little bit of motivation, he takes it a long way, and I suspect that's what's going to happen. But it is interesting to note how scouts have started to make that a, I don't know if a talking point, is the right word. Maybe the media has made it a talking point, but now this discussion is that lighter is kind of the more polished pitcher, even though we haven't seen as much of him, which in seeing him in short doses, I can certainly understand why people would say that, but how do you process that discussion? I guess my concern for rocker is he's going to have to start showing that third pitch. Um, and, and I think that'll help him out a little bit. You know, you had Carson former, and I know they're the same guy, but former used that slider really effectively in college ball is his out pitch, and that's rockers too, and that doesn't always translate. Now, I, I don't think I'm going to make the same jump to equate one to the other just because that, but it has been interesting to see how this debate has played out recently. Yeah, I think really if you're just talking about a debate, it's just more for fun, and of course it's a big decision for those teams picking at the top of the first round. Other than that, you know, I don't think it's a one versus the other. It's just kind of fun to watch them. I, I really don't think you can go wrong. And, um, you know, w- with lighter for, for this Vanderbilt team, if you're following the team and you want to see this team do well, you know, in the last year that they're going to have both of these guys, right. You want results on the field while they're in the sec, you know, long-term, I really have no doubt that they're both going to be excellent pitchers at the next level. But Leiter has not been through the SEC, right? We know Kamar Rocker has been through an SEC season. He knows, you know, what the challenge is like when, when you're facing the type of teams that, uh, that you have to face. Jack Leiter's going to go through that for the first time. I'm pretty confident he's going to do fine. But if you recall, Kamar Rocker had a couple of rough starts there, you know, before he started to figure it out. And I, as far as the secondary pitches, I think I think he'll be there. I think he knows he knows what he needs to do. I already saw, I thought, in his start against Wright State, and I didn't see him throw against Georgia State, but I saw him mix in a really good changeup one or two times. I saw a cut fastball a, a couple of times, something in between the fastball and the slider, right? That's that tells me he's working on stuff, right? So I, I'm, I'm not concerned really about either one of those guys. It, it'll be a fun debate to see, you know, which one goes before the other. But to me, uh, you know, you can't go wrong with either one. 
Yeah, it's a very incomplete debate because, like you said, Leiter has not pitched against SEC lineups. The other thing is Kamal Rocker is a guy to me that just looks like he needs maybe four to six weeks of throwing in season before he starts to hit his stride. It's just Some pitchers are just different, and maybe I am making too much of short sample sizes, but there's a big difference in the way he's thrown in February and the way he's seen him throwing in May and June. Right, and we don't have a whole lot to go off of, right? Because last year we didn't see how that evolved through the whole season. But uh, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. I, there, there are some pitchers that I think get better as the season got, is going along. Um, so time will tell. But I, I just I think you trust the technology that you know the Vanderbilt program has. You know they've got you know such great analysis of what a guy does in delivery and how to keep your arm healthy. Uh, and so you've got that going for you if you're both of those guys. It's, so it's, it's going to be exciting to watch them. Let's go ahead and go into the mailbag. That is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash J.D. Minton HQ. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Okay, this one from Glacial Pace. Isaiah Thomas, what to do? I think he means that Thomas has been striking out uh, a lot frequently, and and what's the remedy there? Well, uh, you know, the easy answer is just at-bats, right? Just keep running them out there. and slowly but surely a, a good player, a good athlete like him will just start to figure it out. It will happen naturally. Uh, but that goes back to, you know, if you're, if he were in the low minors, that's maybe the advantage you have. Now, what is the low minors now? <laughs> They've almost ceased to exist, but that's what the old baseball people would say. And that's what they're going to lament about the new pro baseball system is you could throw somebody out there that struck out a ton and you wouldn't worry about it, right? Because who cares? You just want the guy to get the at-bats and he'll figure it out over time. At least the best do. Or you figure it out or else you get least, like I did. But uh, in college, you're trying to win at a high level. And I think Thomas will hit enough that you can live with some strikeouts. And and hopefully, if, if things come together, you have a really, really good hitter just being in there every day and getting used to the league. But that's something that might take half a season. But, you know, I'd, I'll exchange a few strikeouts if, if he's going to hit his share of uh, long balls, you know, an extra base hit. And I think that will happen. I feel like you answered this, quest, this question last week, but Theodore 8 wants to know what you made of Christian Little's first start. That's a, I think I could see the presence. Uh, that they're looking for there. I can see why he's been identified as a really special prospect. Um, I can't wait to see him pitch more. And, uh, you know, I only saw his first start. And I know in the, in the second start, he gave up a, a few runs there. And, uh, you know, I, I think the more he pitches, the more he'll get used to it. This is a guy that, you know, he has a great frame. I like that he uh, that his breaking ball he could throw for a strike. Um, 
but you got to keep doing it against better competition. My guess is he'll he'll probably have some great starts this year, and he might have a couple uh, that he struggles. If and I think you'll see him in a lot of the midweek games, at least uh, to start. And I hope he gradually uh, grabs that role. But the great thing for him is, you know, he doesn't have to go out there and pitch seven or eight innings. You know, he, he can they can take it start by start because they have such great depth in, in that pitching lineup. Ann Arbor wants to know, what are the reasons for and against including all the SEC's 14 teams in its baseball tournament? Well, that's a great question. I, I like, I'll be honest, I like the idea of 8 to 10 and not 14. Um, too many crazy things can happen, especially if you have any kind of element of single elimination. I also think, and I, I took part uh, when I was playing in a situation where they didn't, it was a 10-team league the first uh, two years I was in the league, and then it became a 12-team league. And so there were a couple different formats. But I like the idea that you have to earn getting into the SEC tournament. I think that's an accomplishment. If you, you know, we know how deep the league is. So you might say, well, you know, who cares who finishes eighth? But, you know, just like uh, in 2003, when Tim Corbin just got there and they had the, the famous Worth Scott home run, you felt like you won something, right? Because they got into the tournament. And it wasn't anything, anything great, but that was, a, that was a big stepping stone and an accomplishment. I, I played on a team where we had some pennant races uh, and to get into eighth. And that was an exciting feeling. So I like the idea of not everybody just is handed uh, a place in the tournament. Because the other thing you don't want is, uh, you know, somebody who has one great pitcher who finishes 14th in the league, you knock off somebody that you're really not supposed to beat because that can happen in one baseball game. So I like the idea of 8 to 10 uh, in, in the tournament. Yeah, baseball is a lot different than basketball, obviously, with the pitching and depleting pitching. And I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think, you know, usually if you have a team that's in Hoover, it's either in the tournament or got a chance to, weigh its, to play its way in. I think the more you dilute that down, probably the more it hurts the league a little bit. Maybe it doesn't make a difference, but that's my thought. I think the league would probably say, you know, there might be an odd year where you, you have 11 teams that, that might be worthy. You know, it might be among the 64 best. That's probably not a stretch. But, hey, I still – let's make that a competition. You know, put it on – you know, I love the pressure of an SEC series where every game means something. That's what separates college baseball. That's what's exciting about it. So, I, th- I, I can see 10 because if you, if you go eight, then there's teams nine and 10 that are going to be obviously right there on, on the bubble or, or trying to get in. So I like the idea of the league having a tournament where type, te- those kind of teams could make a good push. Maybe you had some injuries earlier in the season. You're playing better late in the season, and you can showcase that in the tournament. But uh, to me, I, if you go past 10, that's, uh, I think that's unnecessary. I think winning the SEC tournament this year might be harder than winning the one in Omaha. I mean, you've got, what, maybe five of the top six teams in the country or from the SEC. I mean, it's just crazy. It is, and of course, you know, different teams maybe take a little different approach with their pitching, but it's such a great way 
also for teams at the top to start looking at some of those pitchers that are going to pitch in a regional. Maybe that you didn't need that much during the regular season. Certainly didn't certainly didn't maybe need them in an SEC series. But you know, you think about some guys that might pitch Game Four in a regional, or might come out of the bullpen for a big relief effort. The SEC tournament, you can find out a lot about pitchers like that. You know, and I, I think they, I think a lot of teams have used it that way. Yeah, right now D one's top twenty five goes this way: Arkansas one, Vanderbilt two, Mississippi State three, Ole Miss four, Louisville five. Florida 6, and then you go down to LSU at 11, South Carolina 14, Tennessee 18. You know, I, I don't know. Th- this is ridiculous to even say, right, because it's it's three months out. But I do wonder if this year the tournament means a little bit more as you see teams that are jockeying for seeding, you know, and especially maybe even to host. I do wonder... If you have some teams, like if it is as top-heavy as we think and, you know, you're, you're Vanderbilt, you want to make sure you get the the one seed if you can instead of the maybe the three or four. I, I do wonder if teams play that a little differently in terms of trying to, to make sure they get the best seeding, whether some teams in the past have just kind of gone down there and, you know, South Carolina used to be famous for it, just – Kind of, ah, oh, we'll play, and if we win, we win. But th- then they'd go and, you know, and bow out in, in a game or two and then win the national tournament. But I do wonder if it is competitive as we think it's going to be in the league, if that will have any impact on how teams approach the tournament in Hoover. Yeah, good question. I, I think there's a sense that a lot of those teams, if they know they're going to host a regional as a one seed, um, yeah, that's a good question. Is do you, do you really try to play for the national seed if you think that's going to help you? Uh, I, I would like to think. I mean, I've always been a believer. If I'm part of the committee, I want to see how a team's playing uh, in the postseason, late in the season. I, I think those games should mean something. There's others that you know. If you're talking about college basketball, that um, it's not as important um, to. I, that's a philosophical debate. Uh, you know, I I think a lot of teams. They're going to play to win, but they're also going to try to keep their regular starters on their regular rest, if you know what I mean. Like that Wednesday game or that Thursday game, you know, you're going to start your midweek guy. You're not going to start your number one guy on three or four or even four days rest. Um, You're going to keep him on that customary routine. You want to keep him in that groove because, of course, the, you know, the regionals are going to be over the weekend, too. So you want to keep him in that regiment that you've built. But that's where that depth is so important, right? You got to have that guy if you want to win the SEC tournament who is your midweek starter that can go out and beat an SEC team. Well, and probably it depends on your motivations too. Like I remember in 07 being down in Hoover and I think Vanderbilt threw maybe Tyler Roden or somebody in the opener and saved Price for a couple of games later. And Tennessee threw one of its top arms in the opener and beat Vanderbilt. Then Vanderbilt had to go win five games in, in five days or four days or whatever it was to to get the title, which it did. I don't know if that wore the right. team down for the regional, but you do some, see some interesting mix of strategy there. Uh, and, and I do wonder what, I mean, like I said, it, it, it's kind of silly to have the conversation but because it's so far out. But when you look and see that the public, you know, the people who follow college baseball believe the league is that top heavy. 
Um, all of a sudden, I do wonder what that does to the competitive environment down in Hoover. Yeah, I, I think no matter how you slice it, there, there's going to be – I think the national title is going to go through the SEC. There's going to be a lot of really good teams that emerge. I just think, you know, if you're a coach, you're focusing on just developing your team, trying to get better every week so that you're in position when that comes around that you might maybe you have options so you don't have so much riding on it that you feel like you have to win. You just want to, you, you want that to be the positioning for, for the following week. And that yeah. doesn't mean you, you're not trying to win. I, I think as Tim Corbin says every year, I'm trying to win that thing. You know, I think that that edge that you want to keep is, is important. Yeah, Corbin's saying is that the best practice for winning tournaments is winning tournaments. But um, I want to get you to the last question because I know you've got to go. One Star Bandit wants to know your assessment of Jerry Stackhouse through two seasons. Well, I you know I think we touched on this last week. In my mind, I mean, just in the last week, I'm I'm pretty amazed at uh, at their win against Ole Miss and their win against Cincinnati since the injuries happened with Pippen and, and DeSue. And the number one thing that I am impressed with is how hard those guys play for him. You know, I think they could have checked out and, and just said, you know what, we've had bad luck with injuries. The wheels are falling off. That, that performance against Tennessee, where it was, you know, it's, it looked like they, were, they rolled a lineup out there that had swords and they're going up a t- like a t- you know against tanks and machine guns and things like that and they fought their tail off i was really impressed with that and that shows me the buy-in that jerry stackhouse i think has with this group if they have everybody back next year and I, honestly i don't know why you wouldn't come back and i know it's easier to transfer these days but and, and there's a little bit of some, you know, some people might have somebody saying the grass is greener on the other side. It's easy to have that seep into college athletics now. And that's not a Vanderbilt thing. That's a college thing. But every single guy that I've seen on that team has improved. And another year of improvement with this nucleus back, I think they can make a big jump next year. If they get a little luck health-wise, uh, and I, I think it's not out of the realm that they could be right on the bubble. I don't know anything about the freshmen coming in next year. I know there's some good ratings on those guys. You never know if there's another transfer that co- could come their way. I'd love to see one more guy with some length, defense, shot blocking, rebounding. They could chip in a basket or two. They, they could really use that. Team defense is where they got to get better. But I, I really think another year of Pippen, DeSue, Jordan Wright, and others, I think could be a, a very good team next year. Yeah, I think the two things that are indisputable for him are I think he has shown a, a pretty good tendency so far to develop good players into great players. And I think he has also kept a team two years running where they hit late February literally with nothing to play for, really other than pride and the enjoyment of the game, unless you're like a – a Saban Lee or, or someone who's maybe trying to to angle into the NBA. But he, he's kept a team two years in a row that had everything to pack it in for, interested, and in playing at its best level late in the year. And 
Um, I, I think no matter what the detractions are of him, and, and I think there are some legitimate ones, those are things that if you're being fair, you just you, you can't dismiss. I think if you watch uh, Jerry Stackhouse, the other thing that's really impressive is the X's and O's, the system, the sets, whatever you want to label it as. If he needs to get a shot for Dylan DeSue, or if he needs to get a shot for Scottie Pippen, he's got a lot of creative ways to do it, a lot of variety in how he does it. Late-game situations. They just need to break through and start winning some of those games. I think that's going to come with experience. I like – I think he can coach. I think – but at the end of the day, it's about the players. You've got to have enough players to start winning games, and I think they're getting closer to that. Uh, and I think next year is a very, very important year along those lines. Time to get some W's. Willie, I know you've got to run. I want to give you a quick second to promote whatever it is you'd like to promote among the many things you do. Well, we got the radio show on 102.5 The Game, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Darren, Donick, and Chase. Uh, and, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at WillieD1025. He's Willie Donick. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We will catch you again.